today is going to be based on the gospel that was read. If you go back to that, it's on page 8 and 9 in your bulletin. I just want to read a few verses to remind you of what happened there. It says in, in verse 12, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Going down to verse 16, it says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And finally, in verse 20, we have the confession of Peter where it says, But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. This is the gospel of our Lord. When when I was in college, I had one professor who, after... Each essay question would write down the percentage of what that question was worth for the entire test. So one question would say 20%. Another question might say 60%. And so, of course, I would spend a lot more time on the question, the essay question, that was worth 60%. Well, today we have in front of us a question that is worth 100%. Everything matters on this question that Jesus asks. Who do you say that I am? Everything rides on that question. It really, the way that we answer that question is going to change our priorities and the things that we do from day to day. So I'd like to start at the very end of our lesson for today and work our way towards the beginning. What we have is Peter giving an answer to that question. And it's a confession of faith. It's a confession of faith that no different from the Apostles' Creed that you just said moments ago, no different from the confession of faith that you made on the day of your confirmation. He declared, you are the Christ of God. I want you to think about what that answer means, Christ. Do you know what that word means? Christ is not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It's a title. Christ comes from the Greek, which means the anointed one. It's the very same word in Hebrew for Messiah. Messiah, Christ are the same thing, but different languages. The anointed one. See, in the Old Testament, when a person became a king, they didn't put a crown on their head. They rather, someone literally poured oil on their head to signify to everybody that God has placed this person apart for a special task, a special purpose. He did the same thing for King Saul who was anointed before he came king. Later on, King David would be anointed with oil. And the respect that the people had for these people was obvious. Do you remember when King David had the opportunity two times to kill King Saul, who was after him, who was trying to kill him? And do you remember what he said? That I cannot lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. That word in Hebrew is Mashiach, right? Messiah. But the Bible talks about, and the prophets prophesied, a greater Christ, a greater anointed one, one would who have an eternal throne and an eternal kingdom, the Christ of God. See, what we see in our lesson is Peter 
for the very first time in Scripture, we have somebody who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. And I want you to just think about what it meant when he said those simple words that maybe we take for granted very easily, that Jesus is the Christ. What he was saying is that you, Jesus, you who are standing in front of me right now, you are going to reign eternally. You are the ones that the prophets had been talking about for ages. You, Jesus, are never going to be dethroned. You are more powerful than Caesar. Your army is more powerful than the Romans. No one will ever defeat you. That's what Peter was saying with those words. Now compare that to what the crowds were saying. Remember what the question that Jesus asked the disciples? He first starts by saying, who do the crowds say that I am? And they said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, and others just say you're a prophet from of old. They weren't even close. Something happened to make Peter confess such a profound truth. A miracle. And one of those miracles is what we see today in the feeding of the 5,000. And what we specifically are going to see, we're going to see the difference in these disciples and in us when we acknowledge and live a life that confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Now, in, in the section before this, we see Jesus, for the very first time in Scripture, he sends out the disciples to go preach the gospel to the people. We don't know exactly how long they were gone preaching the gospel, but it can imagine that, that when they came back, they were tired, they wanted a break, they wanted maybe a vacation from people. And so, what did Jesus do? He, he takes them to a remote, a remote place, it says, outside of Bethsaida. All right. But obviously it wasn't remote enough because the people found out that Jesus was there and literally thousands of people went after him to find him. They wanted to hear Jesus preach. They wanted to see him. They wanted to see the miracles that he could do. They wanted to be healed themselves. And so thousands, literally thousands of people went to go find him out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus, as their Christ, as their king, he loved them. He loved them too much, maybe, right? And he went out to them, and he, he healed them. He taught them. And what we see the disciples doing also is an act of love. Right? The disciples finally, after a long day of preaching, after a long day of healing, finally said, you know, it's, it's getting late. It's Time to dismiss the crowd. After all, we are out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to eat out here. We don't want people passing out. We want them to get home in time so that they can have a decent place to sleep. Right? It's out of love that they said that. But Jesus, the Christ, had even greater love for these people. He had an even greater plan. His plan was to feed every last one of them. But, but what you notice is that he didn't say, guys, I'm going to do an incredible miracle here. I'm going to feed all of these people, thousands of them. I'm going to feed them all with fish and bread. Rather, he challenges them to see who they believed he was. And so he says it this way. You get them something to eat. You, go ahead, get, get them something to eat. Now, when I got married... We had around 200 people there at our wedding reception. And it was a substantial amount of money and time and staffing that it took to feed just those 200 people. Now multiply that by a whole lot more, 
to be able to feed 5,000, it says 5,000 men, so maybe there were another 5,000 women and maybe a few thousand children, around 13,000 people. Try feeding that many people. Those disciples who were fishermen probably had never seen that kind of money before in their lives. And, and I kind of think as you read through this lesson, when the person came forth with the five loaves of bread and two fish, he was kind of doing it sarcastically. Yeah, Jesus, you want to feed all these people? Here, here why don't you make a little microscopic sandwich for everybody out here using, using what we have? Good luck. Jesus was not challenging them to provide the miracle miraculously. He wanted them to trust in him who could provide miraculously. You see, how often are we challenged to trust in him when we need a miracle to happen in our own lives and instead of trusting in him to take care of that miracle, we put it on ourselves and we depend on ourselves to make it happen. How often does that happen for us? How many of you right now are in need of a miracle? If we just talk about our church, this last year we, we put in front of our congregation a long-range plan for the congregation. And for those of you who had our every member visits, we talked about that a little bit, about what our long-range plan was. And the first point was that we want, we have right now... We, figured about 35% of our members are engaged members. I mean, people who are regular in worship and Bible study and serving in some capacity. And our goal was at the end of this year to have that number grow to 70%. You might look at that and, and think to yourself, that, that would take a miracle. Or the very last point that we had on there was to become a self-supporting congregation. That means that we have to somehow make up with our small congregation to over $200,000 to get rid of sin and subsidy somehow. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea how we're going to do that. In fact, we could say it would take a miracle for that to happen. But put aside the church for right now, how about you in your life? What miracle do you need to happen for you? See, Jesus doesn't pose the question, the same question that he posed to the disciples who said, you... You go and uh, feed those 5,000 people that are here. You know, he words it differently for you, doesn't he? He says to you, you go ahead and get yourself out of debt. You go and, and find yourself a, a job. You go and, and mend your broken relationship with your husband or your children. You go and fix those emotional problems that you're dealing with all by yourself. You go and fix your failing uh, physical life, your health. You go and fight yourself against that addiction that you're struggling with. You go find, find happiness. What's more of a miracle? That Jesus was able to feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish or to make that problem in your life Come to a solution to that problem that you're dealing with in your life. Which one's more of a miracle? I don't know. They both require a miracle worker, don't they? They both require Christ, our King. A big part of the stress, anxiety, and worry that we deal with is because we so often put it on ourselves to solve the issues that are going on in life that only a miracle worker could do. 
And let me, allow me to let you in on a little secret. You're not miracle workers. You're not. And we shouldn't be putting that on ourselves to, to cause something to happen in our lives that we simply aren't able to do. See, Peter, after Peter saw this miracle, he made one of the most beautiful confessions that we see in Scripture with confidence, with boldness in front of all his disciples. But remember, that same person a little later on would completely deny that he even knew Jesus. You might wonder, how is that even possible? How is it someone on one side at one time can make a beautiful, powerful, bold confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, but then later on deny that he even knows him? Sometimes we do the same thing, don't we? When we lose our trust in Christ, we put it on ourselves to make miracles happen in our own lives that we simply cannot do. But do you remember what Jesus did? Later on, he came up to, to Peter, and he forgave him for his sins. And he forgives us too. See, the, we, we don't always trust in him. We don't always remember that Jesus is the Christ. And a lot of times that leaves us worried, stressed, filled with anxiety. It leaves us losing our hair and getting a little bit more gray hair. But Jesus still remains our Christ and our King. And he would fight one of the most unique battles in history. We went to Calvary, and there we see one of the unique battlefield, most unique battlefields in the history of the world. See, there were soldiers there on that day that Jesus was crucified, but they weren't going to be doing the battling. They weren't going to be fighting. And there was death on that day, but it wouldn't be because of spears and arrows and swords. Jesus was going to face one of the most deadly enemies this world has ever seen, sin and death. And he was walking into that battle all by himself. He didn't even take his army of angels with him. And it looked like he was walking into an ambush. How could he possibly win? It would take a miracle to win a battle like that. He took all of our sins, the sins of the entire world, and put them on his own shoulders so God could punish him with the wrath of God. How could he possibly survive something like that? It would take a miracle. But on the third day, he rose, didn't he? And he won the victory for us as our king, as our Christ. And he established his throne eternally. He wasn't, Jesus, God, was not counting on you to win for yourselves the forgiveness of sins. It took a miracle. Jesus did that. He wasn't counting on the disciples to come up with enough food to feed those thousands of people that were there that day. That would have taken a miracle. And he's not counting on you to come up with a solution to the miracle that you need in your life right now. We see Peter making that confession of faith after this miracle happened. And what we can learn from this is that a confession of faith that we make is not something that we simply make at one time, but it's something that we live every moment of every day. And one way that you can do that is in your prayer life. And that might sound obvious, 
When you are in need of a miracle, where do you go? You don't go to yourself. You go to him who can provide a miracle in prayer. You pray and and you beg and you ask him for the things that you need in your life. And for those of you who are thinking, well, you know, there's not really anything in my life right now that requires a miracle, I'd say to you two things. Number one, be patient because the day is coming when you're going to be saying to yourself, wow, how am I going to get out of this problem? And I'd also say to you, if you aren't in need of a miracle right now, pray for the others who do need a miracle. What we see in our lesson is Jesus praying, I think, a a unique prayer, maybe praying in a way that we don't typically pray. You see, when we give thanks for something, not just to God, but to anybody, we usually give thanks after we are given the gift, right? That just makes sense. In fact, it's a little bit rude if you say thank you before you get what you wanted to receive, right? But Jesus, when he prays for enough food to feed that many people, it says that he gave thanks. That means he prayed with the confidence, knowing that God was going to answer even before he received. And I think we can learn something from that. That when we pray to God, we we ask, we beg for the things that we need, but we can also at the same time give thanks with such confidence because we know that our God, our Christ, our King, already knew the answer, already had a solution figured out before we even started praying. And what can you expect from Christ, the King to whom we pray? What can you expect? Well, we can expect an overabundance. Did you notice what happened in this lesson where Jesus started? This doesn't mathematically make sense, but Jesus started with five loaves of bread and two fish. He ends up with 12 baskets full of bread. Now, I think about my own life and how God has blessed me. Born into this world with nothing. Right? Now I have a beautiful wife, five beautiful children, a great job. And my biggest complaint about living in New York City is that the closets are too small, but, but really the, the problem is not the size of the closet. The problem is that God blesses me with so much that I can't even fit the stuff in my place sometimes. That's how God blesses us, with an overabundance. And we don't have to sit and compare how God has blessed us, be jealous or, or covet about this person's blessings or that person's blessings, because the physical blessings, the material blessings, is nothing in comparison to the spiritual blessings that he gives to all of us. The forgiveness of sins, peace, confidence, knowing that our Christ, our King, is listening to us and answering before we even ask. And finally, the inheritance that is ours, for sure, in heaven. Let's live a life that confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God. Amen.